Hey everyone, welcome to podcast episode number 173. This is Jeff from MCS Mag, and if you're a fellow concealed handgun carrier like me, then you know that with carrying also comes the responsibility to train with your firearm to ensure that you have the skills to back up your, as today's guest calls it, your Whackmaster 5000. Now those skills are for your protection, your families, and every innocent bystander in the range of the bullet that's coming out of the end of your weapon. But as with any self-protection skill, there are always common myths, misinformation, and mistakes that can limit your effectiveness or hold you back from being the biggest protector that you can be. What are those myths and mistakes? Well, I reached out to my buddy EJ Owens, who's a battlefield-hardened tactical firearms expert and trainer, and we did a video cast interview for his own personal top five list of the most common and the most important mistakes that he sees in his training of concealed carry civilians. In this week's podcast, you'll not only hear all of EJ's biggest blunders list, but you'll also get the instant fixes that will make sure you don't fall for the same issues that could cost you your life or your way of life. You'll see what I mean as we jump into our interview. But first, don't forget that you can pick up all of the show notes, including audio, transcription, and our handy cheat sheet for this week's episode by simply going to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 173. And now, let's check in with EJ. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. As you know, we live in dangerous times. And now more than ever, it's critical that the good guys of our society, the sheepdogs, take personal responsibility for our own self-protection at home and out in public. That's why I'm such a strong advocate for responsible concealed carry of a firearm. But staying safe with a firearm requires more than just a Desert Eagle 50 caliber handgun and a few trips down to the range. In fact, right now, if you carry concealed, you may be making some common mistakes that could jeopardize your life or the life of someone you love, and you don't even know it. Now, what might these mistakes be? Well, that's what we're about to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Travel Magazine, executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance, with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with us today, once again, to help us uncover the most common concealed carry mistakes you might be making and their fixes is my friend and actually my number one resource for really cool gun names, the one and only E.J. Owens. E.J., welcome back to the program, man. Hey, it's great to be back. Uh, this is an awesome show, and I appreciate you having me on it. I always love to have you on, always uh, just for my own selfish purposes of getting some really cool tips and everything. Listen, guys, if you haven't heard uh, any of our other podcasts with EJ or any of our other uh, uh, broadcasts or anything, EJ is a professional firearms trainer, author, and consultant whose company, Legally Concealed, trains responsibly armed citizens in advanced firearm tactics for personal protection. Having received multiple firearm instructor certifications from the NRA and even from legendary expert John Farnham. EJ's training isn't just based on theory. He's a former U.S. Army officer and military contractor who knows what it's like to carry a weapon every day for personal protection and how to use it for your own defense. In fact, EJ's training was really put to the test even outside the war zone 
when he was shopping in a local store and was able to successfully thwart an armed robbery with his Glock. That incident, as well as all of his specialized training and combat experience, led him to, led him to develop some of the most advanced concealed carry and other tactical video courses available anywhere. And you can learn more at EJ's website at www.concealedcarryweapontactics.com. Great, EJ. So, so my challenge to you was, like, I, I know a lot of people are out there. There's a lot of myths and myths, myths, myths and misinformation out there when it comes to concealed carry. And my challenge to you was, like, I know you do a lot of, you do training with civilians and military law enforcement. I mean, you, you, you train with so many people and especially the people who are coming to you, they carry concealed, they've got a permit, but Everybody kind of, you know, everybody kind of falls into the same myths, I think, a lot of times. And so my challenge to you was to come up with what were your top five things that you noticed in training these people that tend to be the biggest mistakes that people are making that could even potentially jeopardize their life? And then what's the, the easiest fix to overcome that? So really, this is kind of an easy broadcast for me. I can really just kind of sit back and let you kind of go through these, but just <laughs> one by one. So, so let me know, what is the, what is the first concealed carry mistake that you notice in training people and what is the fix for it? Uh, the first one is, and, and it is the most common, uh, and I hate to say that because it's it's really unnecessary, but it's the improper motivation for carrying a gun. It, it's the wrong motivation for carrying. Uh, when you look at why people carry a gun, you know, what I would say, what you would say is, hey, you know, I, I just don't, I know bad things and bad people exist out there, and I want to take uh, the the necessary precautions to stop evil should it, you know, come knocking on my doorstep. But there are a lot of people out there who carry a gun because it is very empowering. Uh, it, it, it's a power trip for them. Or they uh, they say, you know, if you mess with me, you know, now I can right that wrong. I can one-up you because, you know, I've got this this life and death switch hanging off my hip. And and that is so far from the truth of why we should be carrying a gun. You know, I, now that I carry a gun in the civilian world, like, I don't go looking for trouble. Matter of fact, I try to avoid it as absolutely much as possible as I can. I mean, even to the point where, like, I don't want to get into a pushing match, a shoving match with anybody because I have a gun on my hip. And, you know, uh, luck favors the bold. And honestly, Jeff, I don't know how bold I'm going to be the next time it happens. Uh, what happens if that gun comes out of my holster in the middle of a shoving match? You know, what happens if the guy tries to grab it and he gets it in a shoving match? You know, see, now it's already elevated. I, as a responsible gun owner, I try to avoid as much confrontation as possible. Now, here's the caveat. If confrontation shoves me in a corner or threatens the life of me, my family, my loved ones, then that's why I have the gun. But I don't have it as a power trip. It's not there to make me feel better. You know, I, you know, maybe some people were pushed into lockers as kids, you know, and now they want to feel like they got something that they can, you know, they can stand up for themselves with. That's the, That gun is just a tool. You, your mindset, that's the real weapon. Because even if I didn't have this gun, there are a multitude of other ways that I could defend myself if I just look around, if I just have the right mindset to survive. So I think it's the wrong motivation for carrying a gun is what I see, because there are a lot of people who will do these 40 and slips. They'll be like, yeah, I'll tell you right now, I'll whip out my Master Blaster 5000. I'll smoke him. 
will you? Well, that sounds awesome. So you have no problem, you know, shooting that guy, right? Then you obviously have no problem being handcuffed, taken to jail, making the phone call to your loved ones while you're in jail, being put all over the news and purported as being a murderer before you've ever stood one second in trial. There's not even an investigation that's being done, that's being completed yet, before you're already tried and convicted in the court of public opinion. So unless you want to walk down those steps, uh, you know, just unnecessarily, man, I wouldn't go looking for trouble. So if I had to use my gun, then you know what? I'm prepared for all that's going to ensue after it. But you got to survive. And, you know, and unfortunately in today's environment, there's a lot of negativity towards gun owners. Um, and it's really ignorance that causes that. But the court of public opinion will have you backing up a moving truck and you're know, possibly uh, changing your name just so you can get a job. And you were right to do what you did. You had to do what you did. You're still alive only because you did what you did. So this is not something that, that I take, you know, lightly and, and joking around with it and making these wild, uh, outlandish statements like, well, I'll tell you right now, I just shoot him one shot, you know? Okay. Well, you know that one shot's going to change your life. If you live, your life will be changed forever. So understand why you carry a gun and all that comes with it. Then we can move on to some other stuff, but that's the number one that I see right now is, that proper motivation and mindset for why you carry a gun. Yeah, that makes total sense. Even for people that I think don't even, um, you know, if they're, if they're carrying it there for their own self-confidence because they need it somehow to like boost up their confidence, those people are more likely, if they see it for that reason, they're also more likely to pull it out and brandish the weapon as just like, you know, as an intimidation piece, which that right there can be a felony. Absolutely. And you can lose your firearm at that point, even if you don't even pull the trigger ever again. So that makes that makes total sense. That would be a big problem. Hey, look, if so, you need self-confidence, uh, you need to put down the ho-hos and you need to go to the gym, get a haircut, trim your fingernails, brush your teeth, and uh, maybe go buy you a new shirt. Okay? But a gun ain't doing it for you. Okay? Like, you should never even see that gun on you if you're doing it right. So having it for your own self-confidence, and I, I can't believe we're talking about this, but it is so predominant. In, in the gun carrying world, uh, you know, is, is the wrong reason to have a gun. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just speaking it like it is. I mean, we could say some softball stuff. I could say, oh, you know, well, blah, 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 you know, and I could put some gun magazine stuff in there for you, but, uh, I'm just keeping it real with you. Now, you, you wouldn't be on the show if, if you were going to throw me softball stuff. So I expect, <laughs> I expect more of you, sir. All right. So, uh, so EJ, um, what is um, in, in your training with uh, concealed carry operators? What is um, what is mistake number two on your top five list and the fix for it? Uh, I would say not having uh, current and or complete handgun training. They'll go get their CCW permit, you know, and that that uh, well in Tennessee it's eight hours of mind-numbingly boring. Uh, uh, excuse for a class uh, where the state just can say, look, we told you so, but you didn't learn anything. They do the concealed carry uh, permit. They act like they graduated from college with a degree, and and now they're off and ready to uh, to battle the evil that's out there. Uh, 
And that's so far from the truth. Now, from those people who go take their CCW class and they get it, you know, it's like, honestly, that's like just like graduating from high school. It's kind of expected, right? You don't really get a whole fanfare and applause for that. You, they'll, some of them, you know, a larger portion of those people will go and get a class. They'll take a class, you know, like, hey, I got, I got nothing I'm doing on a Saturday right now. Let's just go out there to the range and take this class. And then that's it. You know, hey, I shot my hundred and some odd rounds at the indoor range and it was great. And, you know, all 30 of us high-fived each other at our small holes and paper targets. But, uh, in reality, like, that was probably more of a fundamentals class than it was a true, how do you survive a gunfight class? So there's a whole pipeline, um, of training that goes on. It doesn't have to be accomplished overnight. It doesn't have to be accomplished in, in one day, uh, you know, or even a year, but you've got to understand that it, there is so much more to it. So when you look at, uh, you know, there's that statement out there is like a, 10,000 hours makes you, you know, an expert requires a minimum of 10,000 hours um, of practice in performing that task before we can truly be considered an expert. Well, let's cut that in half. Where's three to 5,000 hours? Uh, and nobody putting in that kind of stuff. Most people aren't shooting three to 5,000 rounds, uh, you know, in, in pretty much their whole gun's lifetime, you know. So at the end of the day, when you look at what training you've had, um, the gunfight could require you to run. It could require you uh, to pick yourself back up off the ground. It could require you to use one hand. Uh, it could require that you hold someone you love, a small child, in one hand while you defend your life and theirs with the other, uh, and so much more. You know, I'm sure at that one or two training classes that that, that the majority of people take. They didn't turn the lights off, uh, and they didn't uh, they didn't make you whip out a flashlight if you even had one. So when we look at when are most people people vulnerable, uh, if you like, you took a poll, unscientific of course. Most people would say, well, at night, you know, at home or something like that. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, I kind of knew that. No, no, no. The key word that you just said, bud, is nighttime. So how well are your night sights? How well do they illuminate the room? Because just because you spend an extra 80 bucks on, quote, unquote, you know, trinium radioactive night sights uh, that have cool packaging, that doesn't necessarily mean you're ready to fight at night. So do you know how to work a flashlight? Do you know how to move under the cover of darkness? Do you know when to use it? So I just say all that to say that when you're looking at at people who get training, and they have a CCW, that's kind of where we see it stop. And then we get some people who will get some training, and and then they kind of work it in. But you've got to understand, there's a, there's a pipeline. And because you did a class two years ago, uh, that doesn't really mean anything. I mean, like there's a saying in baseball that says, the home runs of yesterday help you in no way today. You know, and and so when you look at current training, things are changing. Like, you know, we're finding better ways to do things. If nothing else, a more ergonomical way of doing things 
to decrease time, to increase effectiveness, uh, effectiveness of your shot placement. You know, uh, we're understanding more about the kinesthetics motion, the kinesthetic motion that's involved in the actual shooting because never more than right now has studying gunfighting been so prominent. The military study, law enforcement is studying it, and there are a lot of civilian organizations that are really, really studying it. Uh, and I hate to even say it, but more or less to akin to an art form versus a task-based approach, you know, step to the line, uh, ready on the right, ready on the left. No, scenario-driven, force-on-force, feeling what that body does under stress and adrenaline rush. What is your thought process like? Are you a true fight or are you a flight? You know, what's your natural inclination when uh, when pushed with your hot button? What is your hot button? What made you draw the gun out? Uh, and so on and so forth. So. Current and complete handgun training. Now, when I say complete, it's kind of like a a misnomer because I would say it's never really going to be truly complete. But when we look at the totality, and, and what I mean by complete, I mean the totality of facets of training. So you have your skills-based training, which is standing on the line, learning how to shoot, trigger, uh, side alignment, trigger control, reset, all that good stuff. You've got to have that. Then we've got to add movement of the body into it. And what does that do to our sight picture? And what does that do to our shot groups? Then we're moving into to light conditions, so low light and no light, multiple targets, multiple targets, low light, no light. Then defense of others, so where I'm only having to use one, I can only use one hand because maybe I'm holding a child or, or holding a loved one uh, behind me. Or maybe I'm trying to move someone who's slightly injured or slower or doesn't or is confused and doesn't know where they're going. I'm trying to get them out of the way uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, and then we move up to force on force training. So having some experience in, in all of those totalities of, of uh, or those genres of training is really important and then staying fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I mean, if people see that as their foundational training is that concealed carry class. All we've done is just give somebody the ability to go out there with a gun and be untrained in public, which is a danger to everybody, frankly. So as much as we Absolutely. love good guys with guns out there, I mean, it's trained good guys with guns that are really the ones that, that end up becoming the heroes and saving their lives and those they love. Um, okay, we've been talking with EJ Owens of ConcealedCarryWeaponTactics.com about the top five concealed carry mistakes and how to fix them. And we've got a lot more coming up, but first, check out this special message. What if everything you knew about how to stop a violent attacker with your gun was wrong? Discover the advanced tactics you must know now to protect yourself and those you love with a firearm. Check out our free book, Stopping Power Secrets. Inside, you'll find such no-hold-barred shockers as 1. The three most common myths and misinformation shoveled out by movies and gun-range know-it-alls that could get you killed in a real-life gunfight. 2. The cold, hard truth about your personal weapon's ability to be a one-shot man-stopper. 3. What coroners know about selecting the right ammo for your firearm that you don't. 4. And the simple training trick used by Abrams tank crews and commercial airline pilots that will prepare you for a real 
attack. Even better than your best day at the range. Don't place your family's safety in the hands of Hollywood fairy tales and hearsay. Claim your free copy of Stopping Power Secrets now, now. at www.stoppingpowersecrets.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with EJ Owens of ConcealedCarryWeaponTactics.com, digging into the top five most common mistakes that you could be making right now with your concealed carry protection plan and how to fix those mistakes. Now, we've only hit two of the five so far, so let's go ahead and jump back in now. So, EJ, when we're talking about these, the biggest mistakes that, that concealed carry uh, people are out there making that, that's danger to themselves or whoever else, um, we've gone through two now. So what is number three on your top five list for the, the biggest mistakes that people – that carry concealed make, and then what's the best fix for it? Not really understanding their their states uh, or 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 county, town, city type. Uh, not understanding all those laws that are associated with carrying a gun. Okay, and where the legal problem happens is vocabulary. A legal word may have uh, a much broader context or application may have a much narrower than how we normally use that word in our everyday walk. So uh, when we look at what does your state allow you to do, there's your there's your your broad spectrum gun regulation. But now we get into the county that you live in, and then the city. And then inside the city, we have different federal buildings. Uh, we have schools and churches. I mean, those are the big ones. Uh, but then, you know, what is a, what, what does your state say about a private business who says they post that no guns allowed, um, poster at their front entrance? You know, is it a misdemeanor? Is it a felony? Is it a, is it merely a trespassing charge? Or if they ask you to leave because they saw it on you uh, and you leave, it's nothing. You know, so understanding how the states, counties, and municipalities treat infractions of the law, not just what I know what I can do. Well, that's great, but it's more important to know what you can't do. And then on top of it, what is what's the legal repercussion? You know, if you're if you're uh, if you're cited for it and convicted with it. See, here's another thing. Like on just about every job application, like I didn't uh, I should say career application because there's a big difference between a job and a career. But on a career application, there's probably going to be that question that says, "Have you ever been arrested?" It doesn't say where you found guilty in a court of law. It says, "Have you ever been arrested?" If so, explain. So, you get out there and whip out your, uh, you know, your Master Blaster 3000, and uh, you're in the right. But the cop rolls up and says, "You know what? There's this. It's kind of some hairy stuff. I'm not quite sure. You know what? You're all going to the jail. Put you in handcuffs, and there you go. Well, you can be fine at your little, uh, your Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon get together when you get out of jail. Like, see, I told them everybody. You know, I, I was right. Great. But how does that affect your job now? Because well, especially, especially when you, especially when you look at like today's news, I mean, 
even if you were in the right and you have to put that down there when you have to explain it and it's like well i was arrested for you know brandishing a firearm or whatever but but it was it wasn't found a lot i mean we have so many active shooter situations and everything now that when they look at it, like well do we really want to take the take the chance on somebody who was arrested even if he was found not guilty do we want to hire somebody that you know had anything to do with a a, a weapons charge at all yeah I, it's funny because like if someone says uh you know yeah i was arrested but uh you know it, it really wasn't founded you know they didn't do anything you know they dropped the charges or whatever like that i always kind of say man did they did they pull an oj like did they get off on a technicality and that's why he's still here and this is really a crazed person see that's the predisposition that society gives you when you hear those key words and unfortunately uh that's what employers do that's what friends do because you don't know, you you might have been arrested for, and again, really something that was totally not your fault. There's a complete misunderstanding. You're totally in the right. You should have never been arrested, blah, blah, blah. But then little Janie next door can't play with your kid because her mama believes that you're a gun-toting fool just hell-bent on destroying mankind and watching the world burn. And you can't change other people's perceptions. Now, in a lot of cases, I would say, especially my kids, hey, don't worry about other other people's perception. But that usually has something to do with, like, they don't like your tennis shoes. When society says, hey, you know what, we're going to ostracize you, that's a problem. Hmm. Now, that's a bigger problem than what we could fix here. But you need to know what those laws are so that you don't get yourself trapped in something that's so trivial legally. But it becomes a major life-changing issue for you and your house. What is the best way to do that? I mean, is it is it a Google search or is it better to talk to like a local law enforcement official or something like that and, and build that tie? Like, what's the best way to find out for where you live, where you you go out, where you work or whatever for you to find out those, you know, those those technicalities that you need to know? All right. Well, this is not the answer most people want to hear because they want to hear, hey, go to my website and you can see, you know, the local laws uh, on my cool map that I've got and the reciprocity stuff. Now, if you really want to get down to it, you need to probably go see a criminal defense attorney in your county or your city. Usually they do free consults and ask him those questions. Hey, I'm a gun owner. What can I do? And by the way, can I have your card in case I get that one phone call? Because I'll call him, and he can call my wife. Yeah. Awesome. So those are that's kind of where I would go, you know. Not yeah. saying that uh, you're, you should ever need an attorney, but, gosh, if you do, it would be nice to have that dude on speed dial, even if he don't remember you. Yeah. you got somebody you can call. Yeah, and even just on the flip side of this for, for everybody that's out there that's listening, I mean, this is, this is one of the, this is a great, um, mistake to bring out there because there, there is so much confusion. Most people don't go out there and really look for this information, but it can't even just be on the flip side. Like I know here in Texas, you know, we, we see a lot of signs out there. They're like no, they look like no guns allowed signs, but really they're just no open carry signs. And so you might think, well, oh gosh, there's another place I can't bring my firearm. And I believe in being armed wherever you possibly can because you look bad guys don't necessarily plan, you know they don't go into your rolodex and into your uh, into your 
your iPhone calendar to tell you when they're going to attack. So you never know when it's going to happen. So if you're if you're going out there and you don't understand the terminology and the technicalities of where you can and can't go or where you can go, then you know you might you might be disarming yourself when you don't really need to. So that's another that's just another kind of flip side of it too. Uh, okay. Hey, and Jeff too. You know, we're not yeah. talking, Jeff. We're not talking like uh, a semester in college to find this information out. Right. All right. It is. It's not an exhaustive effort to find out. Okay. It's yeah. it, you may be an hour. All right. And if you wanted to, you probably could space that hour out over a week. You know. So it is definitely something you should do. But don't. I don't want it to sound like it's so exhaustive that like I can never get it done. I got to go to law school first to understand that. No. Uh, where do you live? Pick up that little Google box of yours and type in criminal defense attorney and see where the closest one is. Because like on my Google box, it'll say like nearest one, 3.2 miles away. Great. Let's go car and roll up in there. You know, say, Hey, when can I set an appointment? Or is he busy right now? Can I get your card? And then, yeah, and, he- and then, you know, you're off to the races. You know what else is interesting about this? I mean, first of all, I've never, I've never really heard anybody put it the way that you're putting it right now. But the other thing that's really interesting about this is that you, and, and why a criminal defense attorney is such a good resource is that you might find out from that criminal defense attorney that, yeah, you know what? Yes, you can do this, but I'll tell you right now that the local law enforcement, that's one of their hot buttons. They don't like people doing that. When you get pulled over, they want you to do it this way. And I've had, I've had to defend people and I was able to defend them, but they still got arrested because even though they were doing it okay, the local law enforcement doesn't like it this way. So it, you're kind of getting like the inside shortcut tips from somebody that has actually had to go out there and defend people. So I think, I mean, that's just another reason why it's such a really great tip. Hey, so well, think you, about this, Jeff. Yeah. Think about this. Your sheriff. Um, did he like rise up the ranks and then he was the next promoted in line or was he elected? Oh, okay. Cause see, if he's elected, then there's other influences. And so whatever the mayor of said county is, uh, you know, making their hot topic. You might see the sheriff say, you know what? Hey, Mr. Mayor, we're going to take care of that too. You know what? We may not be able to do one through 10, but I can definitely do one through eight. We can make, we can let the community know that we're out here enforcing this other stuff. And you know what? You may get caught up in that. And then again, it's a technicality, but their, their hot buttons will directly stem, especially from the sheriff's department could directly stem from the directives coming out of the, you know, the the mayor's office. Yeah, and really then too, you gotta look at your police, look at your police commissioner. What is what's what's his stand? Not what does the FOP say, but what does the police commissioner say? Because politics bends to the will of the people, for the most part. But you may have a vigilante mayor who's like, you know what? I'm the I'm the opposite party of what the constituents are, and somehow I made it in. And I'm going to let you guys know some things. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Especially it's, it's in, worth in turning these times. <laughs> yeah. Especially during these times. That's that, that absolutely makes sense. Okay. EJ. So what is number four on your top five list of concealed carry mistakes and the fix? Uh, 
not carrying your gun all the time. I'll get guys who'll say, uh, yeah, I carry, I carry, uh, you know, when I go to that bad part of town or I carry, you know, if I go out at night, you know, all right, cool. By the way, when you carry at night, like, is there anything special about your gun? Do you like use nighttime bullets? Do you have like a full auto sights on your gun? Do you have, do you have illuminating night sights? Which all those are just jokes, right? Just bad jokes. <laughs> but uh, no, my point is like, no, uh, no, because they don't carry a flashlight. That's my point. Like you're mm-hmm. going out at night and carry a flashlight. If you're, if you're only going to carry at night, okay. Um, like you're the owl mm-hmm. concealed carrier, then you probably ought to carry a flashlight, but not carrying regularly. And here's the thing. It's not just that I carry, you know, regular. Okay. As in like I have a scheduled time that I do it. No, it's carrying regularly means more importantly, you become used to carrying a gun because it's an unnatural feeling. You feel like you got a big lighthouse on your hip and that everyone's staring at you. You feel like you just shoved a Empire State Building down there at the four o'clock position and it feels weird. Okay. Carrying regularly helps break in that holster to form fit your body. It's your body used to the can't that you're going to carry a gun because if you're rubbing yourself raw with a straight up and down, you may want to try the 45. You may want to move it back a belt loop or so. You may want to move it forward based on the, you know, how much love you got hanging around there. But you're not going to know that until you start carrying regularly. Two, uh, what you can and can't wear. Because there are some things, unfortunately, that you can't wear. It's all body to type dependent, but if you're wearing, you know, some type of chiffon shirt and it's, you know, really, really thin and, and it gets hung up on the butt of the, of the gun, uh, you're constantly going to be tugging on that thing. But maybe you got a, the body profile that, you know, your, your chest is a little bit wider than your waist and therefore the shirt, you know, hangs a lot better. And so it doesn't print at all. Matter of fact, is printing in even illegal in your state? I don't know. Maybe we ought to go back to uh, tip number three and check that out. Um, so not carrying regularly, you don't, you don't understand all the nuances that go with carrying a gun. And you know what? Maybe the, uh, maybe that smoke wagon you bought is probably may not be the right one. Maybe you ought to go to a single stack or lay off the Twinkies. Because the double stack is going to stick out wider from your body, right? Well, now I got to look at what holster I bought. Because if I'm wearing inside the waistband and I'm, and I got one of those, uh, you know, bad to the bone $197,000 Kydex holster jokers, um, that have the, the red rivets in it because it makes it more sexy when people can't see it through my pants. Um, then, you know, does that add width? to the gun on top of a double stack. You're not going to know all that. You just live in the Instagram dream right now, buying that stuff that looks good that you try to put it on. You're like, it's too heavy. Uh, Maybe it is too heavy. Maybe because you probably shouldn't carry, you know, a 45 caliber that holds 37 bullets in it. So looking at, at not carrying regularly tends to be the biggest issue that could fix a lot of other issues if they would just do it. 
Yeah. You know, two, I, I, uh, <clears throat> how do you know what you don't know? You don't know. So you're just speculating. Why don't you put it on and wear it for a little while? And then you can start to make some sound judgments. Because when I ask students, like, you know, why do you not do this? Well, you know, I just figured, hold up, figured. Oh, uh, So this is theory-based. Okay. Well, I've got a lot of theories, too. And we can swap theories, but that's not what this class is about. I want to hear what your experience is. Because experience drives truth. Theory drives fantasy. The other thing about um, about what you're saying is people that think concealed carry is like outside the home. So people come home, they're back in their castle, the moat, the moat's there, the drawbridge is up, the crocodiles are out there ready to to take on whatever gangbangers want to come through the front door. And so they think that they they don't get used to carrying regularly, and regularly meaning like in your home, and you know. Home invaders aren't going to attack when you, they're not going to knock on the door and say, you know, land shark, you know, gang members right. ready to come in. So, you know, if you, if you get home and it's like, oh, I can finally take this uncomfortable thing off my, off my belt, get it out from underneath my gut and I'll stick it up in my safe or my bedside drawer for, for the nighttime home invasion. Cause that's only when, when home invasions come in. Like, that's the other thing. Like, it really is a lifestyle thing, right? It's not really just like a, a really cool thing to kind of carry outside and feel confident and, and boost up, you know, get puff your chest out. It really is a lifestyle. Concealed carry is a lifestyle. Yeah. Like, when I come in, I don't take my wallet and watch off and lay it down and go, oh, my gosh, thanks. I, I don't have to wear this big, heavy watch anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, this big, bulging wallet of mine. I should spend some more money so I won't, uh, it won't be so big. Uh, and then I lay it down here on the table like, oh, thank God I don't have to carry that thing anymore. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the, you, you, when you drive that, that equivalency, it doesn't sound right when I talk about a watch, wallet, yeah. keys, cell phone, but people will say it about a gun. Yeah. And that's because it's like they haven't carried it enough. Or they have the wrong holster, they have the wrong gun, uh, you know, and that's that's a that's a, a completely other mistake. Like if you just said six, I'd have said, okay, here's the here's the sixth mistake, and that's buying a gun that's way too daggum big for them, you know. Like I guarantee you, first time gun buyers would buy a bazooka and try to find a sling for it if they could, because if I have the thought is if I have a more firepower then I won't have to use it as much in the gunfight because it'll stop it. And therefore it kind of compensates for my lack of training. Hmm. Yeah. Good point. Okay. So big finale here, big finale. So of concealed carry mistakes, um, what is the number on top five list? What is number five for top concealed carry mistakes and the big fix? Uh, it's not even a mistake. It's something that's never done. And that is, uh, you don't use your murder, death, kill bullets at, at the range. Like, you won't shoot your concealed carry ammo. And what's funny is, like, guys will go out and buy, uh, let's say 9mm for instance, just for easy math. Okay, you buy, uh, you buy, you know, 500,000 rounds of 9mm, 115 grain, uh, and full metal jacket and you're out there just waylaying and, and you're awesome high fiving each other. You got great Instagram photos coming out, um, of you doing your thing and, 
and then you your game time ammo is 124 grain hollow point. Like there's a difference in the bullets. Like hold them up next to each other. Full metal jacket, 115 grain, and look at a 124 grain or even a 147 grain hollow point self defense ammo. Like the tips don't look the same, right? The the ends of the bullet. How do you know that that feeds really well when you're running your gun hard? You probably should like once a quarter probably shoot that ammo so you understand what the what the real recoil is, especially if you're changing grains. Uh and how do you know what that gun's gonna do? You know, there are some guns out there that are finicky. Uh, you know, like if you take a, a 1911 and you haven't, you, you got to go through that 500 round break-in period just on just about every 1911. Why? That's to, so that the gun and the bullets going over that feed ramp can get that feed ramp, you know, just tuned enough to where the bullets will go in really well. Any little burrs on the slide because it's an all-metal frame, right? So you got to work that in. Well, now you go and change ammo and you go to a hollow point. Do you have stoppages? Do you have a failure to feed? Yeah, it's, it's, it is quite common with 1911s to have failure to feeds shortly after the break-in point, you know, obviously before the break-in point, but shortly after the break-in point when you switch to hollow point. Well, man, your life is on the line. This is like, this is it. Uh, like if you mess up, you may not be, uh, you not be, may not be walking upright and fogging a mirror tomorrow. And you want to take that chance. Uh, and because what a couple boxes of of your concealed carry ammo is ex- is more expensive. Like if you were laying on the on the gurney, heading to the morgue, and I was an angel and I raised my big wings in the sky and I said, "Hey, buddy, if you'll give me thirty seven ninety five, I'll you can reverse all this." You'd be like, "Oh man, I got forty bucks. I'll give you a hundred. Okay." Well, like, what's the cost differences in, in buying a couple extra boxes of your, uh, your concealed carry ammo and shooting it and training on it? Yeah. Now I've got this visual of you with wings and you're an angel. It's not, not a pretty sight. I don't see that ever happening, but, um, it's all good stuff, man. Uh, <laughs> great, uh, really great tips. Um, listen, everybody out there, um, I'm sure when you listen to these five, these five things, that more than one of them you probably identify with. You're probably either making this mistake right now or there's some questions there that are left open that you need to find the answers to. And it really is up to you to find the answers. But there's a lot – I mean, I see a lot of the same things here with um, people that I train with and even in myself too. So there were a couple of things you brought up as far as things to check on. I'm like, hmm, yeah, I should probably check on that. So, listen, it happens to everybody out there, and that's not a bad thing. That just means that, like EJ you know, said in the beginning of our of our broadcast, is that – this is a continuous thing. It's never complete training. It's ongoing training. It's ongoing training. And are you really collecting those tactics for your arsenal to be able to be able to not just own the weapon because owning weapon isn't enough. You have, it's the tactics that you put behind it. They're going to make it the most useful for you. So these are just some of the big mistakes that people make and the fixes, but there's a lot more obviously that goes behind it. Um, highly recommend going and checking out uh, EJ's website, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different video courses that he has on this, and it's really coming from experience. So um, I've, been, I've been a big fan of all the stuff he's been putting out 
Um, it's really good stuff. Definitely go check it out. It's over at www.concealedcarryweapontactics.com. Go check it out. Until the next Modern Combat Sorrow broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson. I know my name. Jeff Anderson saying, prepare, train, and survive. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.